with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, Herb Martin here, sitting in for Rez Krebs. He'll be back next week. And in the studio with me uh, is uh, Peter Ewart and Art Betke, and we've got uh, Eric Allen on the phone. A bunch of topics this week. Uh, We're going to start off with uh, talk about the um, food bank use across um, uh, Canada. It's it's up pretty dramatically. Uh, There was a bunch of articles uh, this week. Uh, Evidently, there was um, uh, pretty high use already Uh, in 2008 after the financial crisis. uh, There was a 15% increase in use, and it never went down. Uh, and uh, as uh, as of March, uh, the use has gone up across Canada another 15%, and in BC, it's been up 25%. Uh, we're, people are, are they're making a, a altogether about 1.5 million visits to food banks uh, in March uh, across Canada, and I think just over 163,000 in BC. Uh, most alarming, perhaps, is that uh, one third of the uh, food bank uh, users are, are children. So, um, yeah, Peter, what's what's your take on all this? Uh, well, we're looking at a system here that, in my opinion, uh, is a broken social safety net, and there's various examples of it. Like one of the examples, of course, is one we've talked a lot about in the show is the whole homeless issue. But the food bank is another uh, symptom of a uh, what's taking place and uh, it's paradoxical because we live in a you know modern society we have uh, the second largest country in the world with huge resources uh, all kinds of capacity in terms of uh, man- being able to manufacture food uh, uh, to grow food and, and so on yet we have this problem of, uh, of food insecurity as you've uh, pointed out you know which uh, you know these things are in my opinion they're they're coming to a head where, you know, we, there's uh, a society can't go on with this kind of paradox. Like uh, on the other hand, you have uh, uh, you know billionaire globalized companies that are making all kinds of money, right? You know, like Cargill and uh, and others uh, are are making all kinds of money, whereas uh, more and more people are having trouble putting uh, food on the table, and um, that. Uh, problem is is coming to a head not just in Canada but in other parts of the world too the, the this in my opinion this current globalized system is uh is is breaking down it's not functioning yeah no it's a sad state of affairs when you've got three billionaires um charter rockets into into near space not even outer space but near space uh just for the thrills of it i think and um we can't uh, we can't manage to uh, properly feed uh people here on earth uh all right what's your ah if you've got billionaires sending rockets into space that means there's an aerospace industry which means there's a lot of people making money off of them and feeding their families so that's not a bad thing really uh but as as far as the increase in food bank usage uh it when food prices inflate that that means donors have uh, less to give uh, or maybe a little worried about giving, and they hang on a little uh, harder to their money. Uh, and uh, the needy, well, of course, they need more. People who are already on the edge financially, and then when inflation hits, uh, it just pushes them over, and they don't have enough to cover all their expenses. And 
you know, in, inflation goes up on all kinds of things, but it's my experience. It's just pretty limited, really. I don't buy much. Uh, gas and food seem to be going up a whole lot faster than everything else, and that's the two things that uh, I seem to use most of. I, I, I see some items there up 25, 50%. Uh, and the consumer price index, they say, is up, what, 8 10%, something like that. So a lot of other things are worth less. I do know of one bright spot, though, the little village of Lumbee, east of Vernon down there, where my in-laws are from. The food bank there has been inundated with food. Their problem is getting rid of it. There's not enough people to take it off their hands. We should all be so fortunate. Yeah. Eric, are you on the air? Yeah, I'm here. All right. What's 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 your input on this uh, subject? Well, it's like a lot of other things. We need all the information that we can get. I mean, we've had this. Anytime there's a problem, we get the food bank issue or some other issue. How often do we get into, you know, uh, maybe people should be trained to... Uh, utilize the money that they do have better. I mean, can they cook meals? Do they know how to plan for a month or two months if they're going into a hardship situation? I don't think they are. I mean, you can blame the, the school system or you can blame the government or whatever, but I'm telling you, if I was facing a food situation and I was eating four potatoes a day, I'd probably cut down to one a day. We've got lots of food at any given moment, it's a question of consumption. I've maintained for a long time now, Canadians consume probably 50% more food than they need to. There's also another thing. If, if I get my food for next to nothing, I can spend my money that I do have on something else. And that's just a natural thing that people do. Like, why would you spend a lot of money on food if you go downtown and get it for nothing? And we don't know. We don't know. I mean, these food banks do interview people and find out their source of income and that type of thing. I think as an example, uh, Salvation Army, if you smoke, they won't give you any food because why would you want to give people food and then they go buy cigarettes? Uh, they see that as being detrimental to the whole system. So we need a really good look at that because it's like, well, we'll get into it later on export of grain and that type of thing. But I think that Pricing is definitely a problem, and, and people can't always do something. I mean, I run across a few situations just recently in a store where i seen the price of something, and I just, I'm telling you, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> <clears throat> so I took a strip off the manager, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then the wife was a little upset because she has to shop at that store. <laughs> but anyway... I mean, the thing is, they were charged, I think it was $4.68 for a cat of milk. Well, that's just bloody atrocious. But, uh, you know, the thing is, if they can do it and get away with it, that's what they do. So we, we don't have, well, now the government's starting to look into the cost of food or something, but, you know, the the horses are already out of the, uh, the barn, and we got a serious situation here. But... People are going to charge, you know, the old saying, charge with the traffic will bear, and they don't take into consideration those people that can't afford to buy their high-priced product. But that's the one way of fighting back, <clears throat> is don't buy their product, and or buy less of their product, or buy all of your product from one store and let the other guy think about that for a while. And we could apply the same to gas, but we don't do anything. What we do is, is say, well, the government better fix this problem. So... 
you know, I just bought uh, a bunch of porridge or my plan for the next, I don't know, three or four months, aside from being a weight loss thing, is to eat porridge in the morning. I was raised on it. It's not a big deal. I don't eat bacon and eggs and toast and jam and all the rest of it that goes with it. I can have a bowl of porridge and two slices of bread, and I'm good till noon. I can have a bowl of soup and have a big supper. So it just depends how you want to go about it. Uh, I think uh, Art is down at the uh, farmer's market uh, every weekend, and uh, one of the uh, objects he has for sale are spurtles. Yeah. And uh, evidently they're selling well. Uh, fairly well, yeah. <laughs> Steady sales on spurtles. Yeah. There you go. So. A spurtle, in case anybody doesn't know, is a Scottish stir stick for making oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a good cheap breakfast uh uh, alternative, but uh, yeah, no, we're we're actually pretty lucky in Prince George. The the government really hasn't set, stepped up so far so much as as uh, uh, insofar as uh, um, the Salvation Army as um, uh, food bank on 18th Avenue, I believe. Uh, it's open uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, what is it, uh, nine to four? And uh, the Guru Nanak uh, free food um, uh, uh, Langa. On twenty two twenty five Victoria, they're open uh, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday from two to four. So there's there's two resources for people, and I, I think uh, Christopher Freeland came out last week and said there's going to be hard times ahead. I think there's hard times already here for a lot of people in Prince George. And um, one thing that has been um, uh, described uh, by in, 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 a, in a quite a few articles is that the the number of donations is down. So if you can find in your heart that uh, to uh, help out, I think these are worthwhile uh, ventures, and um, I think that's something we should all try and support as much as possible. All right. I think, uh, before we go on for that, I think I don't know if you mentioned uh, St. Vincent de Paul, but they're another. Uh, <clears throat> a charitable organization, for lack of a better term, that has uh, a food program. You have to go through the interview and the source and everything, and and they'll arrange to get food for you also. And and we do have the high price in the grocery stores, but, you know, aside from that, the unmentionable side from that, because sometimes we like to throw stones at them instead of kudos, <clears throat> but a lot of the food in the food banks come from uh, places like Savon or Superstore or whatever, they make donations of their surplus food rather than throw it in a dump, they recycle it and put it down where it can get to people. So we should keep that in mind. And that St. Vincent de Paul, on any given day, will feed 180 uh, people. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's... And, and they're doing it. I mean, they have some people on payroll that help out of that work as volunteers. So there's lots going on out there. We just don't really hear about it until things start getting a little dicey. So we can ramp up that. You know yourself, all of us, that when we walk out of a liquor store, sorry, <laughs> that's for some of you when you walk out of your liquor store. I don't think there's a bucket there for putting something in it for the poor people. But but there is in uh, in uh, grocery stores. You can, you know, they all have baskets to put in food. So let's just keep that up or double our efforts in that area. Some of the other resources I know around town, there's a, a senior center that uh, offers uh, subsidized lunches. Eric, you, can you fill us in on that a bit more? Yeah, I'm not sure about that part of it, the senior centers. Uh, but the, <clears throat> I know they do have, uh, you can get meals at senior centers r- relatively cheap because, again, it's done with volunteer work and you go in and get a pretty good meal. And 
sit there and enjoy the company of other seniors. And, uh, you know, a lot of people join seniors just for the company and, uh, and the rest of it comes along. So there's a lot of stuff there. We, if, if we're out, like me, I might be spending two hours on a computer and Herb's riding his bike. And, you know, we're all doing different <laughs> things. And so we don't see what's going on around us. We don't dig into it. Like the service clubs in Prince George are having a really bad time getting people to volunteer and enjoying that. And so it's a way of life that's going by the board. But they used to look after a lot of things. And so now it's back to government, I guess. You, you've talked to uh, people from Meals on Wheels in the past too, right? Yeah, we've talked to people to uh, Meals on Wheels and try to get volunteers for people to come in and uh, drive. Uh, and not this particular time... Uh, I was asking people to do something that I haven't got around to doing yet. But, if, you know, 20 years ago, I was doing Meals on Wheels for quite a while. And uh, But volunteer work is good for it. I learned a lot about what's going on in the basements of the houses in Prince George and in the, uh, you know, the lower income places and how people are trying to get by and, and doing these Meals on Wheels. A lot of them lived in these hotels the upstairs in these hotels around town at that time we had 10 or 11 of them probably five or six in the downtown area they're all tore down now and we have to find other places to accommodate these people so yeah definitely anybody out there that can do meals on wheels i know they've been uh asking over and over and over for volunteers and we like to say that prince george is the greatest volunteer city in the world and all the rest of that hogwash but only for specific things that we get a little, you know, like the summer games, the winter games, or whatever. We'll volunteer for that. But to get out of bed in the morning and go down and do meals on wheels for an hour or so, twice a week, can't seem to handle that one. I think uh, the senior citizen, uh, senior center also has uh, some sort of uh, delivery system, too, for, for takeout lunches uh, for people who can't make it in. So that's um, something else to keep in mind uh, as, as things get tighter and tougher for people out there. There's, there, there are a lot of resources. Um, if, you're in the if you have the opportunity to help out, uh, please do. Uh, if you need the resources, you know, please contact them. There are, there are people out there to, to try and help. Uh, Sort of getting back to um, you know the overall the overall system uh, how it's breaking down perhaps a little bit. There was an interesting article by Todd Whitcomb um, uh, in the Citizen uh, this week uh, about how um, you know the global recession is not something that is you know uh, something that Canada can escape. That uh, you know we're all going to have to suffer through it. Basically, everything is interconnected, according to Todd. Uh, you know, we've suffered from uh, fire, uh, forest fire smoke from uh, Siberia. Uh, we're suffering from the effects from the war in Ukraine. So uh, inflation and recession are not something we can get away with or away from, rather. And uh, what, what's, what's your take on that, uh, Peter? Um, yeah, well, you know, we have a globalized world. Uh, but uh, the one thing I would say is that there's uh, not just one model for uh, globalization, for interconnectedness. Uh, the current model, there's a lot of problems with it, right? You know, because uh, uh, with the outsourcing that goes on, with the uh, concentration of power in these big multinational corporations that exist on a global scale, it, it tends to weaken many countries. And we saw that uh, with the pandemic, uh, you know, the shortage of vaccines and other uh, medical equipment and so on, right? So 
uh, I think that, the, you know, what we have to start talking about is a new model for globalization. You know, one that um, strengthens the uh, national, provincial, and local economies, making them more self-reliant. And then once you have self-reliant, strong local economies, then you can have a globalized system that is much more stable. Uh, and the other thing I think we have to do, and I guess we'll talk about it a bit later too in terms of other topics there, is what happens with these big uh, globalized companies that uh, roam the world like pirates. You know, uh, you know the whole question of uh, do restrictions need to be put on them, uh, you know, in that regard. So. All right, well, we'll have more to talk about uh, when we come back from the break. Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you missed the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. Did you know that Books and Company has a bargain book sale every single month? That's right. Our bargain books become even more bargainy on the last Friday of the month. How bargainy? Three for the price of two bargainy. That means that if you buy two bargain books, you'll get the third of equal or lesser value for free. For more information, check out booksandcompany.ca, call us at 563-6637, or come see us at 1685 Third Avenue. The Books and Company 3 for 2 sale, where bargain books get bargainier. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with increasing cloudiness late this afternoon. Wind gusting from the south to 40 this morning and to 60 this afternoon, a high of 9. Partly cloudy tonight, a 60% chance of showers this evening. Gusting south winds becoming light near midnight, a low of 0. For Saturday, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers starting late in the morning. Wind becoming south 30, gusting to 50 in the afternoon and a high of 9. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, and we're back. Um, Art, you actually wrote a letter in response to uh, Todd's uh, article. What was uh, what were your objections to? I didn't actually write a letter. I just posted oh, a comment, comment online, okay, sorry. a small comment. Uh, yeah, he was saying that it, uh, it's not just uh, our government's fault that we're in recession, and it's... Uh, uh, a global recession coming at us, and uh, so we can't just blame the, our government. And well, that's true to an extent. Uh, the, as Peter said, uh, the whole globe, the world economies, are all interconnected now. And so, when there's a recession in in one part of the world, it was, will affect everywhere else. That, that's inescapable. But uh, actions of individual governments can make it better or worse in their own countries. And my comment there was was that uh, the Trudeau government and their spending multi-billions, hundreds of billions of printed dollars into the economy, that causes inflation. 
And it wasn't only him, it was all the governments in the Western world, in Europe, the United States especially, there were trillions that were printed and injected into the economy. When you put all that extra cash into the economy, you're going to inflate it. That's inescapable. So uh, I would suggest that if uh, if our prime minister, our, our government had held the line and uh, resisted the temptation to spend that much, uh, it might have had a, a dampening effect on recession here. Now, it's interesting uh, that they are saying, the government is saying, that uh, the recession here in Canada will be mild. It'll be short. And in the United States, they're saying, oh, it'll be a, a mild recession, a soft landing. This is what governments in power always say when they see a recession coming, whereas as the opposition at the same time are forecasting doom and gloom and a crash and all kinds of things like that. So, uh, yeah, we, we really don't know how bad it's going to be. We just know it's coming. Um, as far as what to do about it, I think you need to let the the system, the capitalist system, sort it out on their own. It seems to me every time government gets involved uh, it's they make things worse uh, in the words of Ronald Reagan government is not the solution government is the problem all right uh, Eric what's your take on that article yeah well I think uh, you know I know Todd and uh, sometimes he likes letting it go on a bit I, I, I understand the concept that he's trying to get at but but it's the uh, the responsibility for what's happening now. If what he's saying is true and it's all interconnected, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been saying for a number of years now that when you have massive, massive clear cuts in British Columbia and those each individual tree takes hundreds of gallons of water up oh. to the top of the tree and then into the atmosphere because that's how it's cycled. And you, all the trees that are taken down and killed and burnt and whatever, ate by uh, beetles, it would have a serious detrimental effect on weather all around the world. And so we are a big, big part of the problem because of the way we handle our forests. And we should be preserving certain areas, or maybe 50% of it or something, I don't know, or certainly, at the very least, have a, a valid forest that, is, that regrows itself over a period of time and will log beyond that, which they have already in concept, but not in reality. So, you know, if we're not going to sit down and look at what we're doing, like we have along the highways, we have trees so that you can't see the clear cuts. Very few people fly all over B.C. so they can't see the devastation. All of that is done around your lakes, and they're legally required to leave trees in that around the lakes. That's to keep you happy and give you the, the idea that everything is okay in, uh, in, in Babylon or whatever terminology you want to use, but it's not okay. Our whole thing, and, and if you try to stop the exporter blogs to look after uh, local mills, they'll say, well, what about the people that earn their money uh, exporting logs? So we always have uh, one for it and one against it. So, you know, we used to have a good economy in the top 10 countries in the world. Most people were working. People were making money. They built their house. They built the country. They built everything. Now we can't seem to do it, and we're into more and more food banks. There's two people responsible for that. One is the capitalist system under which we operate because it's, it's unregulated. And uh, the other one is, of course, the government that's in charge of regulation. 
All right. Peter, you had something to say? Well, I, ju- I just would agree with uh, Art and Eric that uh, when we look at the uh, actual situation, yes, we live in an interconnected world. But also governments have uh, definite powers and can, can do things, right? You know, so, you know, the, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, when problems come up like, like this, uh, the, the governments say, well, oh, it's a global problem, right? But, of course, if the economy gets much better in all this, they say it's because of us, of what we did, right? <laughs> Every you know? time. And uh, so I, I think that uh, it's important uh, that we don't get, uh, you know, sucked into the whole idea that it's somehow caused by, caused by some mysterious forces a long ways away and there's nothing we can do. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree that, you know, we Canada's really been pretty lax on maintaining uh, its... its um, uh, its independence, uh, its its own economy, and and um, uh, protecting it. For instance, I think the, the the biggest problem that we're facing right now in terms of inflation are fuel prices. And for a country like Canada that actually exports oil, uh, the fact that uh, you know fuel prices are so high. Uh, it's, it's really quite inexcusable. And, and the fact, it, you know, it, it wouldn't be so bad if those, if those profits were being uh, created here in Canada. But uh, Western Canada uh, Select, uh, you know, this is Alberta uh, crude, is selling, we're selling it to the Americans for about 40 cents a liter. And uh, the uh, rack price on diesel right now in Prince George is $1.50. So that's, that's, the, that's the price before taxes. So you know we're we're uh, we're giving away our resources and we're not protecting ourselves, and I know really no one's talking about this. You know the conservatives nor the liberals, and uh, you know it's it's inexcusable that we uh, basically have you know so much oil that we're exporting and we're we're not refining it, and uh, we've got less than a minute. But Art, you wanted to say something? Uh, let's go to break and I'll comment afterwards. Okay, sure. All right. The Prince George and Bulkley Valley Community Foundations are partnering for the next round of the Investment Readiness Program. The program offers eligible social enterprises in northern B.C. funding to allow them to create, manage, and expand in order to prepare to receive investment. Groups including charities, nonprofits, co-ops, and social enterprises can be eligible for $10,000 to $75,000 through the program. Applications for the next intake must be submitted by November 22nd. For more information on the Investment Readiness Program, go to PG. GCF.ca. Shortly after 8 p.m. on Tuesday, October 18th, RCMP responded to the report of a break and enter in progress at a business on the 9200 block of Northern Crescent. Sean Underhill was subsequently arrested and charged for the offense and will remain in custody until his next court appearance. The investigation is ongoing, and if you have any information about this or any other criminal offense, please call the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300. Learn specific strategies for responding to behaviors often experienced by caregivers with Focus on Behavior, Thursday, November 24th from 2 to 3.30 online. For dementia caregivers, targeted strategies for word salad, confabulation, wanting to go home, and asking for deceased relatives is a small group information workshop facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion Thursday, November 24th from 2 to 3.30 through alzbc.org. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. 
Save the dates. The BC Natural Resources Forum is returning to Prince George for an in-person event January 17th to 19th at the Civic Center. The BC Natural Resources Forum offers a positive, non-partisan arena to discuss and learn firsthand the latest news, trends, and opportunities linked to the resources sector in BC and across Canada. Registration and full details are available at bcnaturalresourcesforum.com. The 20th anniversary BC Natural Resources Forum, January 17th to 19th at the Civic Center. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back. Art, you wanted to say something about the high price of fuel. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, when you talk about uh, the oil corporation's profits, don't forget the government profits on fuel. The oil company, they will explore for oil. They'll drill for it. They'll uh, pipeline it to the refinery, and they'll ship it from the refinery to your gas station, and then they'll put it in your car for you. And for that effort, they get a profit. Maybe it's more than they need to have, but they still work for it. The government gets way more profit from it for doing absolutely nothing. So let's keep in mind the government is responsible for a lot of the high price of gas at the pump. The other thing is uh, Canadian oil is pretty much restricted to the United States as far as export is concerned. Uh, we, we can't even export it or, or ship it to eastern Canada. The, every time we try to uh, uh, build pipelines or, or that would uh, ship it to the rest of the world or, uh, or to the back east, the government puts a, a block on it. We can't ship it. Uh, so we're, we've got one customer, the United States. They get it at a huge discount because we're, they're our only customer. They can basically set the price. And if we don't sell to them at the huge discounted price, where are we going to sell it? We're not. Uh, Eastern Canada, uh, Maritimes, and that, they, they get foreign oil. They pay world price for it. So uh, it, it's a lot of government problem is, is the biggest thing uh, that causes our problems that way. Well, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a couple things here. I mean, there's, there's definitely uh, uh, the profit motive is, uh, is essential in capitalism, but, uh, but there's also something called profiteering. And um, when, uh, you know, the Gulf, the Gulf Coast refineries are making record profits now uh, refining, basically because they're pulling an Enron and restricting supply. They've closed a lot of refineries across the states in the last couple of years. Uh, I think the American... Uh, refinery capacity has dropped by about 8% in the last uh, four or five years. So that's uh, on the margin. Uh, they're, they're just making a, a ton of money. Uh, you know, this, this Canada uses two and a half, uh, or yeah, two and a half million barrels of oil a day. We can only refine two million of it. So that's something that, you know, we've been told by innumerable uh, governments across this country in the last uh, 20, 30 years is that we need pipelines to export our oil. Well, maybe we actually need refineries to upgrade it. And, and do, you, do you think that refineries would be allowed? There hasn't been a new refinery built in the States since the 1970s. All the environmental organizations, all the governments would fight it. You would, you would fight for 10 or 20 years to finally get their permits to build it. And then there's billions and billions and billions of investment in, involved in that. And no, they, they can't take the chance. 
Well, there was a private company in Alberta that built a diesel refinery, and it opened it in 2017 with the help of the NDP, actually, in that uh, province. And that was something the Conservatives fought tooth and nail. They, uh, so, you know, you know Canada, Canadians can stand up for themselves. We have the expertise. We have the technology. And we, you know, just lack the desire, actually. And so maybe it's time we, we stood around two feet and started refining and uh, processing more of our raw goods uh, here at home. And shipping it to the east. Well, actually, right now, the east is paying uh, lo- lower prices for fuel, even though they're, they're paying world price for the, for the raw material. Uh, they're paying the rack prices for diesel and, and gasoline are lower in Toronto than they are in Prince George. Oh, yeah. Lowest price in Canada for gas in, in uh, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's got. That's, that's still, because still, they've got it's refineries. Not, it's, it's, yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's not Alberta oil. It's and not. It's not Saskatchewan oil. That's it, right. But, but uh, they're, they're paying more for the oil than, than, than yeah. we're getting in the West. So it, basically, everyone's getting screwed. But uh, but but they at least in the east they've got refineries and we don't so that's that's why we're getting we're getting we're getting really the the worst of all possible deals here in Western Canada. That's a, kind of a sad situation. Uh, anyway, Eric, I haven't heard from you in a while. What, what's your take? Well, uh, the refineries are built on the coast because the product is going for export, and uh, you know on the east coast, uh, one of the first. Uh, uh, well, the United States was the first company to start supplying uh, natural gas to Europe. And now, you know, you've got a surplus of natural gas around the world. You've got ships out in the harbor waiting to get unloaded. They can't get unloaded with grain, and there's ships in there with oil and all the rest of it. So this idea that, you know, we've got the infrastructure now to do it a different way. We have no market for gasoline in Canada. And then in eastern Canada, we actually get it from Norway. Until we can get around that, maybe. But there's five companies in the world that control all the oil, and that's it. And they'll decide where the oil's going to go. So we have to have a different way of looking at these things and dealing with these things. We used to do it all by a rail car. And now, you know, when it was getting tough there for a while, they were back shipping oil by rail. There's any number of things we can do. But the corporation, as an example, these corporations, they know what they're doing 10, 15 years down the road. We have, use your municipalities as an example. We send money to the uh, <clears throat> the Victoria, to the uh, financial outfit there, and they turn around and they invest that money, and then they send us back the interest on it. And the BC Teachers Federation and all these people, their union money is invested in corporations and businesses all over the world, and the money they get back goes back into the whatever they want to do with all the money. They got they got a lot of it. Don't ever kid yourself. So why can't we set up a board or something? <clears throat> it has to be really scrutinized closely, and have our governments invest in these big corporations, buy stocks in them, get the benefits of the profits that they're getting and then redistribute that to the lower-income people. And now we've got a closed cycle way of making money. There's nothing to stop us from it. I mean, as individuals, we can't have an impact. But as a government and a major investor in these companies, we can go to the board meetings and sit there and listen to their <clears throat> BS stories. All right. Uh, Peter, what's, what's your take on this? Well, I think, you know, just looking at the whole problem of uh, globalization and... Uh, you know, countries uh, sort of being uh, 
out, outsource, you know, facing outsourcing, all this kind of problem, right? When you look at the oil and gas, uh, oil and gas is absolutely essential for a modern economy, right? You know, like a, there's, a, there's a move away from it, but it's going to take a whole period of time. In the meantime, though, uh, without oil and gas uh, refining c- capacity and all the products that it can produce and all this, uh, a country, countries are vulnerable, they're vulnerable to international pressures and blackmail and, and so on, right? And especially with with oil and gas, right? Because oil and gas is so crucial to the existing economy. So uh, that's that's something that uh, needs more attention in terms of what we're we have this great resource that has all the capacity to produce all kinds of things, but it's not being utilized. We're not getting the value out of it that that we should. Yeah, no, it's there's an old uh, old saying: trust in God, but tie up your horse. So that's, uh, you know, we, you know, we we can't be babes in the woods here. Uh, we've got to definitely maintain our own uh, interests and uh, uh, make sure that uh, we're not uh, thrown over the barrel by uh, by the oil companies. All right, uh, time for another break, and we'll be right back. The Indigenous Physical Activity and Recreation Council is proud to present the Indigenous Long-Term Participant Development Pathway Supporting Indigenous Participation Workshop. The two-day program is designed to help sport and physical activity leaders and organizations enhance their understanding about how to support Indigenous participants and athletes in their programming. Sport organizations wishing to participate in this unique sporting journey and mentorship program are asked to fill out an expression of interest available through ispark.ca. While each dementia journey is unique, there are some signposts to the stages of dementia. Learn about what to expect as the disease progresses and how you can manage changes as they happen with Mapping Your Journey, Stages and Progressions of Dementia, Wednesday from 2 to 3. Register for this free webinar or watch previous presentations through alzbc.org. For caregivers and people living with dementia, Mapping Your Journey, Stages and Progression of Dementia, Wednesday from 2 to 3 through alzbc.org. Learn how to set the stage and utilize some fun settings in your smartphone or digital camera Tuesday, December 13th from 6 to 8 at Studio 2880. Discover the fun and addiction of bokeh photography with Christina Watts just in time to produce creative photos for the holidays. Registration and full details are available through the Arts North link at studio2880.com. Bokeh photography with Christina Watts, Tuesday, December 13th from 6 to 8 at Studio 2880. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with increasing cloudiness late this afternoon. Wind gusting from the south to 40 this morning and to 60 this afternoon, a high of 9. Partly cloudy tonight, a 6 percent chance of showers this evening. Gusting south winds becoming light near midnight, a low of zero. For Saturday, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers starting late in the morning. Wind becoming south 30, gusting to 50 in the afternoon, and a high of 9. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back again. Uh, next on the agenda, uh, trying to solve all the world's problems. Uh Alternatives to high interest uh, rate policy. So we've we've heard uh, a lot of gnashing and teeth and, and uh, wailing about uh, the coming uh, interest rate hikes. But um, are there any alternatives? Uh, you know, there's uh, Jeff Macklem is basically uh, 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 engaged in a in a process to try and beat down inflation, and and it seems like the only instrument he's using is the threat or the use of higher interest rates. Uh, do we have alternatives, Peter? Uh, well, the one thing I would say is that there, I won't be surprised if, uh, in the, as 
time goes on that we're going to hear the issue of that there should be wage and price controls, uh, which I think would be a big mistake. You know, for one thing, uh, they're going to they're going to favor the the wealthy in a big way. You know, because it's going to freeze in place all the losses that people, uh, that working people have already experienced because of inflation, and it's also going to freeze in place, the, you know, the the high prices and the high profits that uh, have been made by the big companies, right? So, uh, I think that's that's one thing that we have to be uh, really cautious about. That uh, because this crisis was not caused by. Uh, uh, high wages or wages getting higher or whatever. There's a whole number of other things that uh, contributed to it. And by the way, just to keep in mind too, back in the early 1970s, for those of us who were still around then or, or were around then, uh, uh, in the election, uh, one of the elections there, Robert Stanfield ran on the basis of uh, wage and price controls. And uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau opposed him and won the election on that basis. And a year later, he turned around and imposed wage and price controls on the on the population. So we have to be careful about these kind of, you know, the federal government pulling something like this on us. Uh, so I don't think, I just wanted to get that in there, that wage and price controls, are, in my opinion, are, are not the way to go in terms of uh, dealing with uh, the, uh, you know, the problem of inflation. Art, what do you, what's your take? I got to agree with that. Um when um, when wages and prices are frozen, um, it interferes with the economy. Uh, a large part of this inflationary cycle is due to the government interfering in the economy in the first place, and now they broke it. They think they've got to fix it. And uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, something's wrong, turn to government for the solution. And uh, it's not usually all that a good idea. Uh Wage and prices, often it, it hurts the economy, it hurts the industry. There's a shortage of goods. Uh, industry can't get the prices they need. Then they shut down. They lay people off. Workers lose jobs. Goods aren't available for people to buy at any price. And then you get a crash. And uh, it, it will work. But I think the damage is, is worse uh, than just letting inflation run its course. It my observation, I don't know how accurate this is, is that the economic system, the capitalist system, will sort it out on their own eventually. And the less the government interferes, the faster that will happen. All right. Eric? Yeah, well, I guess if you live in the, the world of Willy Wonka or something, that might work. It doesn't, it doesn't work here. Like, we know the forest industries in uh, British Columbia are making billions of dollars in profits. And at the same time, simultaneously, in the same newspapers sometime, they're talking about the terrible things that are coming down the road and how they're going to have to reduce uh, production and cut jobs and maybe close pulp mills or whatever. <clears throat> That's kind of contradictory if you think about it. Uh, we need a system where some of that money, profits, are put back into the economy and not into the pockets of the shareholders, unless, like I said earlier, one of those shareholders happened to be the people that supplied the trees and all the rest of it in the first place. So it has to be all-encompassing. The biggest, uh, in my opinion, the biggest factor in inflation today is extremely high wages for some of the top government, uh, well, for all government workers, and for... Uh, 
and that includes teachers or whatever. They're all getting good, comfortable wages. They're getting holidays. They're getting benefits. They're getting it all. And then, but when you go into the store to buy a loaf of bread and you're making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and the guy that goes in there beside you is lucky to get forty thousand or thirty thousand a year, you pay the same price for the loaf of bread. So there's a problem there. One guy can afford it; the other guy can't. <clears throat> and the reason that the price of the bread is so high, and let's be honest about it, is because of gouging. Gouging. Look the word word up and see what it's about. I, I, you know, if you build a house, it's just off the top of my head. You can check it out if you want. I mean, <clears throat> who in their right mind is going to pay eight hundred thousand dollars for a house in Prince George? We have some serious problems here. But anyway. The cost of a house, as I understand it, is a third for the land, a third for building the house, and a third goes to profits. Their $900,000 house, that's $300,000 profit. So put that in your pipe and, pipe and smoke. Because what we're getting here is gouging and uh, high wages to people. You know, we used to tie wages to production. Now you just get an increase because you happen to go to work that day. Hmm. Um. I guess uh, traditionally there's been uh, four main alternatives to high interest rate policies, uh, and um, I think rationing for scarce goods in World War II was one. Uh, wage and price freezes, both Nixon and Trudeau did that in the 70s. Uh, there's also the possibility of socialization of private enterprises if there seem to be uh, profiteering. Uh, and um, fourth is regulating markets, uh, for instance, rent controls. So there's there's alternatives, but no one's really talking about it. It's uh, the Liberals are pretty much set on this uh, high interest rate policy. Uh, Pierre Polyev has talked about um, reducing the uh, taxes on fuel, I believe, but um, uh, I don't know how governments would actually survive without any. That's a major source of revenue for them, and in fact, in Australia, where uh, they tried this, uh, they've had to go back to their their. Uh, traditional formula of, of uh, government taxation because they just couldn't afford it. So, uh, uh, Peter, you would... Uh, well, you know, the one thing I would like to say, just in sort of a big picture issue, is uh, the, who gets left out of uh, this discussion in terms of uh, these decisions that are made and all this uh, is the Canadian people as a whole. Like, uh, we're getting, uh, you know, this whole question of jacking up interest rates or whether it's going to be wage and price controls, all this kind of stuff. It's done behind the, the closed doors in, the, in government and, and big business, and, and, and who gets left out are, are the people. And, and that, to me, it speaks to the problems that we have in our political system and economic system, the fact that uh, the voice of, uh, of, of the vast majority of people there are no mechanisms for people to have a say on this or, or have any decision-making on this. And I think that's something that we have to think about uh, in terms of the big-picture issues, like in what direction do we want to go? Do we want to go towards this highly centralized world that is a monopolized world or whatever, or do we want a, a world in which people have more of a say over what government does and what uh, the, where the economy is going? All right, we'll be back with more right after this.
Learn practical strategies to live as well as possible after a diagnosis of dementia with Responding to a Diagnosis, Wednesday, November 9th from 2 to 3. For caregivers and people living with dementia, different types of resources available at any stage of the disease will also be explored. Register for this free webinar or watch previous presentations through alzbc.org. Getting to Know Dementia, Responding to a Diagnosis, Wednesday, November 9th from 2 to 3 through alzbc.org. The Elder Citizens Recreation Association is home to a wide variety of activities. Card players can take part in canasta, cribbage, and whist. The musically inclined can join the ukulele group or the Forever Young Choir. And for those with an artistic flair, there's a craft group. Staying active is easy with yoga, tai chi, carpet bowling, and more. Please note that some activities are on summer hiatus until September. Stop by the Elder Citizen Recreation Center on 10th between Vancouver and Winnipeg for more information. Worthy Warriors, a bra collection campaign is on through the end of the month at Modern Match Lingerie. You're urged to donate new and gently used washed bras at 1552 Quinn Street starting tomorrow from 11 to 6 to help women living in poverty. Modern Match Lingerie will be collecting donations all month long. Cash donations will also be accepted. Modern Match will also donate $1 from every October sale to the campaign. Worthy Warriors, a bra collection for those in need starting tomorrow from the United Way of Northern BC. Exciting young singers will share their favorite opera arias and duets as your Prince George Symphony Orchestra presents opera favorites November 20th at Vanier Hall. This afternoon concert will feature National Music Festival Grand Award-winning soprano Emma Johnson and Vancouver Opera Ensemble baritone Jason Cook performing a dizzying selection of opera favorites from Mozart to Massenet. Tickets are available at the Symphony Office and through pgso.com. Opera favorites from your Prince George Symphony Orchestra, November 20th at Vanier Hall. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back again. Uh, Art, you had something to add to the conversation? Yeah, as well, far as uh, oh, other... Go ahead, Art. Oh, uh, <laughs> other efforts... Uh, to uh, stifle the uh, inflation. Uh, rationing uh, comes with a whole host of problems. Uh, you couldn't use ration cards like they did in the past. They could be uh, forged so fast these days. Uh, and uh, what it does is results in less goods to buy, which the law of supply and demand pushes up prices, and you'll get a black market. I don't think that's going to help much. Uh, socialization of capitalist enterprises. You get Venezuela. You get Zimbabwe. Collapsed economies, starving people, eating their pets, and no hope. Um, and in that, uh, that kind of situation, uh, the ruling elite does very well. Hugo Chavez, uh, when he socialized Venezuela, he amassed himself a personal fortune of over $4 billion. And uh, inflation, of course... Uh, last I heard, it was something like 10,000%. So that doesn't kill inflation. It just hurts it. All right. Well, uh, there were a couple of other op- options there. Uh, regulate markets, um, such as rent controls. Um, and they, the price price freeze might be uh, might be something you could use in, a, in an economy where there's no competition and where maybe you know some companies, perhaps in the uh, grocery business, are uh, profiteering. But, uh, Eric, you wanted to add something? Well, I was just going to say, you know, that, and this is probably the, you know, since the dirty 30s, God knows how many recessions or whatever we had. The thing is that the, the people that haven't experienced it are some of the younger people 
Like they're in for a, a real, real shock if we get a serious recession or depression here. And we should be doing whatever we can to make sure that they're aware of what's coming because if they're not, you know, I mean, there's been times in our history where people were hitching rides on a railway track and eating soup out of a tin can in a ditch somewhere. So, you know, it's not it's not funny by any stretch of the imagination. This system of uh, the globalization and that, the, 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 it's starting to come out now that it's basically stopped and, and it's the first indication that they might admit that it's a failure. But it was created by big business. They created the whole thing. Anybody with half a brain and a butt would know that over time it couldn't work because the supply chain is too long. And uh, then when it breaks down, they blame everything from the Ukraine to the, somebody's cutting their toenails in Indonesia. But, but the fault lies with the big corporations that set up the system in the first place. We have a railway here now, the BC Rail, at the Dees Lake Extension sitting idle because they uh, sold it off to the CN. And at the same time, we have people complaining about a car shortage. Well, if you wanted to do the work, you find out the car shortage, part of it is because you shut down that railway. So it's a self-inflicted wound by business. But we're going to get blamed for it all. But they created it all. And it's time that we started putting things out there that this happened because of this. Corporations and people who run corporations are not noted to be the most intelligent people in the world. And it's about time we should you know, understand that. Well, definitely, you know, we can work on making our society more resilient. I mean, there is uh, there's also an abandoned rail line between Vancouver and Prince George, and um, uh, no one's using it, and uh, that would seem to be a, a, a transportation uh, artery that uh, we could we could really put back to use at the moment, uh, saving fuel and um, uh, perhaps putting people to work. Um, the other the other thing to remember is that. Uh, after a major uh, social, uh, you know, problem such as World War II, uh, where uh, governments had to go deeply into debt, uh, after World War II, corporations were paying 50 percent tax rates, and at the moment, I believe they're at uh, 13 or 14 percent. So when you see companies like Shell uh, pulling in eight billion dollars in the last quarter, or uh, locally, Canfor is going to is on track for making well over a billion dollars again in profit this year. Um, maybe we have to start uh, talking about that. Uh, no one seems liberals or conservatives don't seem to want to raid that that uh, that question at all. Anyway, I gave you a solution to that. It's yeah. buy their stock. <laughs> well, the trouble with Canfor is they actually don't pay dividends. But uh, oh, yeah. that's okay. There must be money in it somewhere. <laughs> well, for Jimmy, I think he's he's making lots of money. All right. With the last topic for today, um, uh, does Prince George need a passport office, uh, Peter? Yes, definitely. You know, like the uh, the fact that we don't have one, you know, m- means that the federal government still hasn't figured out uh, that we live in a second largest country in the world by land area. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, if you're in, like they calculated in Prince Rupert there, like if you had a passport emergency, you'd have to drive to uh, Vancouver, take 17 hours to, to get down there, right? So what's the problem? Like uh, the, the federal government just announced that... Uh, it's going to be uh, setting up passport offices in smaller towns in Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, and PEI, but not in British Columbia. You know, so um, I think that uh, it's uh, 
something that is very much needed. We need a passport office here. Uh, you know, if we talk about it being a globalized world and all this, uh, uh, having your passport is absolutely crucial. And uh, having been able to uh, deal with passport problems uh, is a necessity for the people in the interior. So whether it's in Prince George or some, some other place, I, that's a whole other but I think Prince George would be a very good place for it. Art, what's your take? I don't think it's really necessary. Plan ahead. I didn't have any problem getting my passport many years ago. Uh, so, you know, may, maybe people should just, as a matter of course, get a passport, because you never know. Uh, it would only be for emergency situations. It's still not hard to get a passport uh, if it's not an emergency. Uh, there is quite a backlog in uh, some instances, it uh, has a lot to do with uh, the government actions. Uh, they fired people who didn't uh, uh, get vaccinated and refused to hire them back. So that, that affected it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it'd be convenient, but I don't know that it's actually necessary if people would just plan ahead. All right. Uh, Eric? Well, just look at the population, Central Interior, 300,000 people. I would say... Uh, 90% or 95% of the people or more that want a passport already have it. They're good for 10 years. And this is caused by, uh, you know, the pandemic and the rest of it. And uh, this, in two years or less, it's going to not even be a problem, not even an issue. Nobody even, half the people in this town don't even know where a passport officer, EI officer, anything is anyway. And it's not a concern. It's not like everybody and their dog wants a passport. I'm 81 years old and never, ever considered getting a passport. So we shouldn't think that everybody thinks the way we think. All right. It looks like you have the last word. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly partnered with local community groups like the Railway and Forestry Museum on River Road next to Cottonwood Island Park.